podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Stratocast. It feels like a while since we've done this, the international break, taking a toll on things. Obviously, we've had a lot to say before domestic season came to came to a break with the manager and, and results not going away. Performance has also been an issue. And now, Nards, that you're joining me, we're going to speak a bit about, the well, the next few weeks, we're going to be without Raphael Varane and Harry Maguire. That's a problem. We don't get no break, do we, when it comes to internationals? No, it's 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 it's, it's a bit of a torrid uh, international break for us at United, isn't it? I think losing obviously Harry before um, with an injury, and then obviously with with Rafa Varane going on international duty as well, and then obviously him getting injured, it's it's a massive, massive blow. And two of our well, our two best centre halves going out injured it's, uh, with the fixture list coming up as well. It's it's going to be a it's going to be a tricky couple of weeks without those two guys. No, and the part of me thinks, look, maybe the deluded side of me thinks that Eric Bali and Victor Lindelof are sitting there waiting for their chance. But the reality of it is they've had a lot of chances because for several years we haven't had a, a strong enough defence. They've played lots of games and haven't really, haven't impressed. They haven't impressed. And the United fans have, have a reason, a valid reason to be going into these games worried because even with Ferran and Maguire at the back defensively this season, we've been a bit shaky at times. The midfield still isn't 100%, still isn't protecting that back four. Are you worried, Nards? Because we are okay. playing, we are, we are up against Jamie Vardy and Leicester. Mm. We're up against Liverpool. They're coming to Old Trafford the week after. We've Atalanta, a big Champions League game. These are big, so, big games. Uh, the yeah, all coming up. Well, yeah, I think, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think every fan has, has seen how uh, Bay and, and Lindelof have performed at different times, and and they're not starting to. And like you said, we our midfield isn't particularly protecting our defence that well currently. So it is going to be a concern for for us as fans, for the for the staff, for the team. Um, so yes, I am a little bit concerned about it, but they've got to step step up to the plate. Lindelof, uh, I think. Is a good defender. He's proven at international level and he's proven for Manchester United that he is a good defender and he yeah, can perform yeah. any given days. Uh, Bay, we all, well, I've yet to find someone who didn't love Bay when he first came in and we've all, we've all seen his power, his pace, his power, his strength. It's just, you know, he can be a bit, well, he can be a bit of a liability at times as well, let's put it that way. So it's, it's, it's up to them guys to step up to the plate and really perform and, and put themselves, you know, one, in, in contention for a starting place, but also in the shot window if they don't want to be at the club because obviously we're very strong in the centre-half position now. So it's up to those guys to stand up to the plate, perform and, and hopefully show how good they can be and why United have shown such faith in them in the past. 
Phil Jones has had seven weeks full contact training with, with the team now. Um, he might think himself that he's, he's back in the frame and the, the manager has been publicly supporting him, even when times when like the Rio Ferdinand have been slating Jones for staying at the club. He did a recent podcast with the, the official club's app, which is really worth a listen. He speaks about his own difficulties and then dealing with social media and having to come away from that. But with the dilemma we're in now, and we're talking about the, the injuries to the squad with some big games coming in, Nards, could this be a time where maybe Solskjaer puts on the, the tactical glasses and changes things around? Because what he has stuck with throughout his reign, really, is a double pivot of McTominay and Fred. And with the injuries, and obviously knowing why he does that, he does that because he wants to offer defence as much support as possible, even though it doesn't always work. But yeah. maybe he might go five at the back this time around for these big games and change things up and take one of those players out with that double pivot to offer that support because Jones is fit now. You know, Jones, if he's, if he's part of the squad, it wouldn't be ridiculous to say that he might be in with a shout this weekend or against Atalanta. Yeah, it's, it's not out of the question. He could potentially, you know, well, he'd at least be on the bench. You know, you would expect him to be at least on the bench. Whether Solskjaer will actually have faith in him and, and put him straight in and you know, against the likes of Leicester, Liverpool, maybe Atlanta, like you said, but uh, Solskjaer could tinker with it, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he'll stay with that double pivot, play four at the back and, you know, have Jones on the bench should we need him. Okay, okay, because Jones, listen to the podcast, he doesn't sound like someone who's been put on the long finger this season in a sense that uh, I, I do think he will get chances. I know we're out of the League Cup, but you, you can see how quickly injuries can happen all of a sudden we're without our two main centre backs and people are starting to fret and I'm all I'm, I'm even saying that there might be a chance for Jones to get in um, but that, <laughs> that, that, that that's purely down to, to the base that are, we have seen Eric Bally we've seen Victor Lindelof for so long and especially as a pairing um, yeah. they have not played well together in games so that that is that is a worry for the manager it's an even bigger worry when the midfield isn't isn't 100% but Something else I wanted to speak about with Gennard's, um looking at comments that have been made during the international break from fellow pundits. Jamie Carragher has hit out at Roy Keane and Gary Neville for over-perceived bias of Solskjaer. Um, he claims that they don't, they don't tackle him quite like they tackle other managers when, when you consider that Manchester United have went to the transfer market, bought someone who's won the Champions League four or five times, a winger, 75 million, Raphael Varane. That's definitely ground to mount a title challenge is what he's arguing. Um, but I guess the bigger picture, and you might agree, is that there's so many good teams going for it this season. You can't just single out one. No, no, I agree. Um, and I think... By, by, by buying the players that we have, Solskjaer, Oli's obviously brought in some unbelievable talent. It's about getting them on the pitch and getting them performing. Uh, but, but ultimately, when you spend that kind of money and you get those kind of players, you know, with, with the huge reputations, um, I think it would be a bit naive to say that we, we shouldn't be thereabouts. Whether to, to win it, I, I still think it's another season, um, adding a couple of players, potentially in a midfield position. But I do think Carragher's got a point in the sense that United... Have spent this money, bought these kind of players. They've got to be in a position where they're at least challenging or all there and thereabouts. But you're right, there is a lot of good teams now in this league. You know, one of 
four, maybe even five teams could think to themselves we could be in with a chance for at least Champions League spot or pushing for the for the, for the title. Um, so it's a tough league. It's competitive, but it's a this is a business and it's a it's a results business and and Solskjaer has to do something where he at least challenging this year. Obviously, too during all of this international break, we had the, the incredibly controversial takeover of Newcastle United. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because for years and years and years, we've had, say, Abramovich at Chelsea come in, splash the cash and, and develop teams that were going to go on to win Premier League titles and eventually the Champions League. People seem to have a problem with him doing that back then. But the more I think of it now, I have no problem with a, with a wealthy Russian bloke coming in, buying a football club. Um, and having a dream and, and, and running the club pretty well, you'd have to say that, you know, Chelsea down the years will run pretty well. We, we, we can give them yeah. praise on that. What I have a problem with is state owned football clubs. And that's where it becomes a, a total different story, a total different pot of gravy. Where do you sit on this? And like the, the, the Premier League clubs, the 19 Premier League clubs have, have issued warning kind of saying that we weren't warned about this. We should have been told what a Premier League to expect this, blah, blah, blah. But it has been in the media for the past 18 months, hasn't it, the, the, that the Saudis were interested in Newcastle? Yeah, I don't think it's... I don't think most teams can say they're surprised with the outcome. I think it was always you know, going on in the background and it was just a case of getting it approved by the, by the, by the FA, the Premier League, and obviously the right bids that are coming in here and there. And obviously all the background stuff that we don't know a lot about. But but I'm with you. I think it's it's a yeah, no problem at all with Abramovich. I mean he's come in, he's a billionaire and he, and he's and he's managed Chelsea extremely well. Uh mm. he's he's been ruthless. He's he's sat managers when others wouldn't uh, and he's won trophies uh, mm. by being ruthless and he's put the cash in to 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 support the club players and, he, and it's not like he's he's running a club into the ground he's, in fact it's the opposite he's done a f- phenomenal job i'd say um albeit being a bit ruthless at times whereas like you're saying with the state owned clubs and with all the, the human rights aspects and different things that have gone on there it, it, for me it's a bit it's a tricky one let's put it that way because We've got is, uh, is the Premier League just doing what it did to Manchester United then? Because before the Glazer takeover, now I'm not saying there was Newcastle fans on the street, quite quite the opposite. They were out celebrating this. And um, mm. despite the despite the human rights record these people hold. But before the, the takeover in 2005, Manchester United fans protested against that. They issued the warning calls to the Premier League and the authorities to, to listen. They didn't listen. And the Premier League ultimately folded its back on, on, on the fans. Now, yeah. what I see this happen, it's a bigger, bigger story, would, be, would, be, would have been state-owned, is the Premier League is actually turning its back on itself. Because the, when it comes to power, ultimately, in a few years' time, when, when more of these owners come, creep in, the Premier League won't have any say. And, and the likes of the ESL that, that came and gave us a bit of a fright, that will come back to bite us in the arse. Hundred percent. I think like you, you get these kind of people in power of, of football clubs, and with the, the, the Premier League will lose, will lose in every aspect, whatever the fight may be against these individual clubs, whether it's the the ESL, whether it's the financial fair play, whatever you want to you know bring up. The Premier League are not going to be able to compete and fight against these owners uh, with with the money they've got behind them, with the history and uh, you know what 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 goes on in their own 
you know, countries politically and human rights and what have you. It, it, you're right. It's 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 quite shocking and quite scary, um, and and quite quite surreal in the fact that there's a big you know push for you know the taking the knee, for example, which you know which, which is great, you know, and I fully back that. But then you counteract that with them then allowing Saudis to come in and own a club, knowing what their <laughs> track record is in their mm. own country. So it, it kind of it, it's it's kind of it's crazy to it's, think about it. So much, there's so much because I think Sky takes responsibility in this because they'll they'll do these campaigns, which I which I'm in support of, uh, with the rainbow laces um, yeah. against homophobia in football and, and all, all the sorts. But you're bringing in these owners that that totally totally ignore that in their own countries, and that's what when when we talk about. Chelsea, we talk about Chelsea and they've a they've a they've a wealthy owner, a Russian that runs the football club. We talk about Newcastle, I'm talking about Saudi Arabia. Yeah. You know that that's what we're talking about. And it, it's a total, total, total different different kettle of fish. Um, but moving on, another topic that kind of took over the international break was the the scenes after the match against Everton at Old Trafford when so Alex Ferguson was caught on camera talking to UFC fighter Kahib. Now, this was totally overanalyzed in the media. Uh, <laughs> it was just Ferguson having a, a chin wig with, with a fellow sportsman. But he, he, he said something along the lines that you always start your best players. Now, do you play it under Sir Alex Ferguson? He didn't always do that. He didn't always do that, but he, he, he got the results needed. So it's it's it's... And it was the circumstances, so I totally understand the fans' frustration. It's the circumstances in which Ronaldo was on the bench. And I know when Ronaldo came on, we were winning, so it's not all there. You know, it doesn't all you know add up. But ultimately, with two poxy-friendly games against Qatar and Luxembourg that Portugal mm. had, Ronaldo really didn't need a rest. I mean, to say that, it's crazy. It was the circumstances in which it was done. And in those circumstances, Everton, which is a tough game, and the last Premier League game for at least a couple of weeks, you... you you have, in my opinion, got to start your best players and your best team. Um, and, and, and yeah, Fergie probably wouldn't come out and say that and it could have been twisted and overanalyzed, like you said, but I, I do understand why, why certain fans are frustrated with it. I'm going to sit on the fence this one or maybe even play devil's advocate because when we signed Cristiano Ronaldo, you also have to realise that a few months prior to that, we fought on our back to get Cavani on an extended deal. And when Ronaldo arrived, I didn't, ex- I don't, I don't, I still don't expect him. Now I kind of do because of the backlash Solskjaer got, but I didn't expect him to play every week. And I know he, ha- I know he has done pretty much up until this point, apart from a few knocks with Juventus and so on. But Cavani is another player in his, in his late 30s who, who is of the same mold, you know, maybe not of the same, of the same mold of being Ballon d'Or winner, but. Cavani's one of the best in the world as well, you know, and I, I, I think Solskjaer shouldn't be too criticised for, for changing that around. And, and the reason it does is because of circumstances and we didn't win that game. Um, performances of late haven't been great, but, but ultimately he's going to change it around. There's going to be games where he's going to have to play Cavani because Cavani wanted to go back, to, back home to Uruguay or to Argentina and they asked him to stay an extra year. Now, for Solskjaer to turn around and, and to keep him on the bench every week, that would be very unfair. And he, 
I know it's not starting Ronaldo, but Cavani's he scores goals. Oh yeah, and I love Cavani. I think I mean what he did when he came on against who was it Villarreal when he came on. I think he just completely changed the whole mm-hmm. aspect of yeah. the game. Yeah. Work, right? Winning balls back, they have no right to win. He he's not he's a I mean he's a twenty two year old trapped in a thirty six year old body, whatever whatever age he is. The, the fitness levels he's got as as with Ronaldo. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I love Cavani, but with the with the build up. The previous games, which we kind of got lucky in a couple of circumstances, with yes, yeah. minute goals, stuff like that. You've got to go into the international break. You've got to go into the international break over the home game with three points. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't the time to to drop our, you know, potentially our, our, our match winner uh, in in Ronaldo. And and you, who say he could have played both of them? If you want to start Cavani, play both of them. You know, build your team around that strike force if you need to. Um, it was just because with Everton being having so many injuries as well and not at full strength. I just it was a poor result and a and a poor way. And it, and it gave a lot of United fans two weeks just to to moan about it. But there's still it's a long season. There's lots of things to go. And, and like you say, Ronaldo will not will not play every game. And I don't expect him to play every game. It was just the circumstances as I keep saying. I'm not going to ask you to name out your starting eleven to face <clears throat> Leicester at the weekend, but who is in your midfield? I'm McTominay Pogba Fernandez. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. And to be honest, Nard, I don't think whatever midfield he names, I think someone will have a complaint. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's someone out there that's say, that's not good enough. You should go with this. But ultimately, there, I, I don't think right now we can see the right fit. And hopefully throughout the season that we something works out, that someone starts performing out of their skin and, and, and makes the position their own. That's what we can all we can really hope for right now. But But yeah, look, We'll end that on that note. Um, are you optimistic heading into these runner fixtures? Do you know what? I mean, this is this is going to sound terrible, but every time I watch United, I never go into the game really, really confident because I know we could be unbelievable against some of the top teams, but then when we come across some of the, the lower teams, we don't seem to perform. So I'm never 100% confident every more, anymore. I'll always give 100% support and I'll always back us to win. But... I think, we, you know, United, the players, the staff, the manager have got a lot to prove before we can start thinking we're going into every game now expecting a win because we've, we've drawn and lost against teams that we just really shouldn't have. So um, cautiously optimistic is what I'd say. And don't forget, we'll be talking more about it next week, but the return of Marcus Rashford is on the cards and that's a really, really good thing for Manchester United. I'm looking at that team since the start of the season, Nards. And once we can shore up those two flanks and have Rashford on the left and maybe Sancho on the right, who, by the way, got two assists for England the other night, so hats off to him. Going, in, going on the back of this international break with a bit of form, so he might get a start against Leicester at the weekend and, and get off the mark finally for United. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the Strategy and you'll hear from us again soon. Up the Reds. Sports Social Podcast Network.